Well, good evening. Thank you so much for being here with us on Wednesday night for our Bible study. Um, hope you've had a good week so far. I'm looking forward to Sunday. I'm excited, kind of a new day. Uh, I'm, of course, assuming some things here, but I assume that the shelter in place that is set to expire on Friday will indeed expire, and that kind of changes some things that's been in place for those over 65 and um, those with pre-existing conditions or um, high risk, as they call. But because that expires, I, I know we had some of our um, senior adults with us this past Sunday, and I expect to see more of you this Sunday. I'm looking forward to, to seeing some of you. Certainly use your own judgment um, as to where you are, but I will tell you this. You know, once again, this Sunday, we will be wearing masks um, from the moment you get out of your car. I'd ask you to keep it on until you get back in your car. Um, we'll continue to, to do that to try to protect those on the campus. We'll be parking every other space for social distancing. We will be um, social distancing in here in the seating. We'll be doing absolutely everything we can to bring the highest level of protection. Um, this is the highest level that the CDC offers and the things that we're doing. And we will certainly try to honor those back who are coming in and welcome them back and make this the absolute safest place that we can to gather. So I hope to see many of you here this Sunday. Um, look forward to seeing many of you. It's been a while. Um, I want to remind you to go to the prayer list, if you would, faithlagrange.com, and make sure you pull up the prayer list and pray for those that are there. Um, we have many people that are sick. We've got a few in the hospital this week. We've got a um, I'll just call them unspoken. It's one really big prayer request coming up tomorrow. The, tomorrow and Friday both, actually. It's going to need a lot of prayer. I'm not really at liberty to mention that one, but I would ask you to please be in prayer um, tomorrow uh, and, and Friday as well. Um, also, I know Mr. Ron Newton, um, they had to go back today. They were doing some surgery there. If you continue to pray for him, he's still working to, to recover, but if you just check that prayer list, there, there's an awful, awful lot of needs on there that people um, need, and also if you have some that you'd like to add, um, I, if I got to call and add one of my aunts that, that's in the hospital um, having some problems, they're talking about maybe putting in a pacemaker, if you have some that you need to add to it, uh, if you would call the church office, of course, 706-884-3100, or if you email them, uh, Miss Sylvia will certainly get those on the prayer list. And we'll all pray together in one accord and trust God to, to do what God does. Um, this evening, we're going to continue here in our study. We started a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night studying through the book of Romans. Last Sunday, we made it down to verse 17. We read verse 17, kind of highlighted it, left off there. So this evening, if we could pick up there where we left off, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. 
Father God, thank you so much for being so good. God, I thank you for this letter. I thank you for what it teaches. God, I thank you for all that this entire letter shows us about your goodness and your mercy and your grace and your salvation and even sanctification, God. I thank you, Father, for the way that it teaches us, God. I pray you'd use it tonight. I pray you'd start with me, God, and teach each one of us that we'd learn something to make us a better servant for you, God. Something to be a cleaner vessel, God. I ask you right now, would you forgive me where I failed you? Lord, forgive us of anything that would hinder you from using me tonight, God, to speak to your people, God, that, that you might work through me, Father. God, I just want to be a tool in your hands. I ask you tonight, would you use this internet? I thank you for it, God. I thank you for the live stream, God, that we have a way to get the word out to your people. And I ask you to use it. Start with me, God. Make us a better vessel. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in verse number 17, we see Paul use the word righteousness, but that clearly isn't the last time we'll see him use righteous or righteousness of those words. Righteousness is, is the theme of this letter. It is, it is one of the profound doctrinal truths that this letter emphasizes. Words like righteous and righteousness, we'll see those words used nearly 50 times just in this one letter here. The word righteousness in Webster's 1828 dictionary, it means pure heart. Conformity of heart to divine law, it is equivalent to holiness applied to God. It says it is the perfection of his nature. Righteous is what God is. Righteousness is what God has. And righteousness is what God gives, but under one condition. Through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. It is righteousness through faith that saves when accepted, but condemns when rejected. God is righteous. Man is unrighteous. Paul says that righteousness is revealed or made known to man from faith to faith. That, that is how God's righteousness can be bestowed on a man who is unrighteous. Then Paul says the just shall live by faith. Now that is a direct quote from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3, the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up, it lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So the just shall live by faith. That's not a New Testament idea. That's an Old Testament truth that the Apostle Paul has reached over and brought it over into the New Testament. We see Paul use it two other, well, actually, we see Paul use it one other time. It's only used two other times in the New Testament. In Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, the third chapter, we see it in verse number 11. And then in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 37, 38 says, For yet a little while, and he shall... For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. That's another reason that many people credit the Apostle Paul with writing the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of people who, who believe that he is, and some is open for discussion. But there's no other writer in the New Testament that uses this expression. So that's just one more piece of evidence that some people say to lean towards the Apostle Paul being the writer of Hebrews. But the just shall live by faith is talking about all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament. The just shall live by faith brings in all of the law. It brings in all of the Psalms. It brings in all of the Proverbs. It brings in 
all of the teachings of Christ. It brings everything uh, under one one word, if you will. One of the things that I use, Pastor Dale and I was talking about a minute ago, I use a program called Sword Searcher. It's a really good study help for me. Probably most of you now use Blue Letter Bible. I would expect most of the world probably does because it's a little more accessible. You can download it on your phone or on your pad. I know you can take Blue Letter Bible with you, but I've been using Sword Searcher for, I don't know, seems like at least 20 years. It's a DVD you have to buy and download so you can't take it with you, but it does have Tons of study helps. And in it, it has about 50 commentaries. And I told you before, you got to be careful with commentaries. Um, you can't believe everything you read in a commentary. A lot of it is, is a man's opinion of something. There, but there's some really good things to learn. A perfect, you know, Dr. Harold Wilmington um, wrote Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. And I don't know, outside of the Bible, it, it might be one of the greatest books on the Bible that I've seen. It's got some really good stuff, but I don't agree with everything that I read that Dr. Harold Wilmington put, is he smarter than me? A million times over. Is he anointed? I I believe with all my heart. Um, But that doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything. And the same is true with all commentators. I I use Barnes and Gill a lot. But one of the the ones in this guy's name is Lightfoot. And I don't use his stuff as much, but he... As I was studying, I looked at something that he had to say about this passage, and and I really liked his perspective on this particular quote. He said, The law was given to Moses in 1,613 precepts. In the book of Psalms, chapter 15, David reduced it down to 11. In the writings of Isaiah, Isaiah reduced it down to 6. But then the prophet Habakkuk reduced it down to one simple statement, The just shall live by faith. Then Paul reminds us that there's another side to God. Yes, God is pure and God is merciful and God is righteous. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much, Jesus. Um, God is holy and God is is righteous in, in everything. But God's also the judge. He says in verse number 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. I'm going to give this to you as a quote, and and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I've heard this a lot of times, and and I don't know that it's true. Dale Dale may have done a study on this. Dale's got me on sound. I've heard it said many times that Jesus speaks of hell more than heaven. I've never really done an all-out search on that. And I'll tell you why that would take a lot of work, because the Bible doesn't typically use the word heaven and hell. It uses a lot of references to it. So it would take a pretty incredible amount of study to, to verify that as being actual. So I'm telling you based on some other people's studies, things that, and I do believe it to be true, again, but I've not put that to a full study. So um, I'm going to tell you, based on, on the study of some other people, that Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Here's one thing I do know for a fact. Jesus told us a lot about hell. Jesus gave us a lot of warnings. And here in the text, Paul gives us the bad news. The wrath of God is revealed. And then he gives us three reasons here. It is revealed because of human ungodliness. It is revealed because of human unrighteousness. Now, there is a difference in the two. Um, ungodliness is a sin against God. It separates God from man or man from God. And although all sin is sin against God, what we see here in unrighteousness is man sins against man. The first sin that we ever see in the Bible 
is the sin against God. It is ungodliness. When we see Adam and Eve, they took the forbidden fruit. God had told them not to eat of the forbidden fruit. They took the fruit, they ate of it, and it divided man from God. It created a separation. The next sin that we find is a sin in unrighteousness when Cain murdered his brother Abel, and that divided man from man. The Bible says that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind and all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. But the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then Jesus said on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. God makes it very clear that it is a sin to mistreat brothers and sisters. It is a sin to sin against man. It is a sin against God when we sin against other man. God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. Who are we to mistreat one another? Saved, unsaved makes no difference. We are to treat all men the way that God would want us to treat them. And then number three here in it, he says God's wrath is revealed because of unbelief. God will hold all men accountable. God holds us for the basic truth because God has given us the basic truth. God has written it in his word. And those who deliberately reject the truth will stand before God condemned. So in, in the first 18 verses, what we basically see here is Paul's introduction to the letter. He introduces himself and he begins to talk about the purpose of the letter, the main teachings that he's going to address in the letter. In verse number 19, Paul begins teaching the principles of the gospel. And then through the first eight chapters, Paul deals with three principles. He deals with sin, he deals with salvation, and he deals with sanctification. And we will spend the next several weeks in the first eight chapters breaking down the things as Paul teaches them, looking at them. But, but for tonight, just looking on into parts of chapter 1, beginning in verse number 19 here, the rest of it is kind of like a survey, if you will, of the causes, the, the consequences of a sinful lifestyle. Paul gives us a Kind of like a spiraling effect, if you will. You know, we've talked about a lot of times in church that how easy it is to get out of church and how easy it is for people to fall away from church. And many times you can get somebody that, that comes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and you make a purposeful choice to lay out of church on Wednesday night. It's not because you're sick. It's not because you're out of town. You were tired, and you chose not to come on a Wednesday. And then... Before you know it, you're not coming much at all on Wednesdays. And then you make a purposeful choice one Sunday to, uh, I'm tired. I think I'm just not going to go back tonight. And, and that is a spiraling effect. I, I've never known anybody that said, no, I ain't saying anybody out there. I've never known anybody that said, I'm tired of going to church. I'm just not going to go anymore. It just started with a little slip. It just started with a little something. And that's what a lot of people call backsliding, and you slide away. But there's a, a spiraling effect that leads to destruction. See, the first thing that Paul is dealing with here is willful blindness. Probably most all of us have either heard it said before or we've been asked a question about natives living in jungles and foreign regions and way out. And certainly there's missionaries around the world, but there are islands that are still cannibalistic. There are still places that missionaries really can't get to very much, if at all. There's a lot of them out there. And, and you've heard the question, well, what about those people? 
Well, what about them? What if they never hear the gospel as we present it? What if they never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? What if they never hear confess with our mouth our sins, those, those, those things? I can tell you this. And, and I did a good bit of studying yesterday and looked at some stuff today and, and again recorded on some other people's works. But it is said that there's not one tribe that has ever been discovered. Not the most remote tribe in the most remote regions. They've never discovered a tribe that did not believe in some form of God. They all have their gods. They have all, some of them have many gods. They have their sun god. They have their moon god. They have their fertility god. They have their, you know, let's hope he makes the plants grow god. They have their protection gods. They, they have the little figurines, the little wooden carved out things, or maybe a golden image, whatever you want to call it. But, but they have some type of thing that they call a god because creation tells them that there is a god. Verse number 19 here in our text, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said that if they ate of the fruit, they would surely die, and they did. They died in their spirit. It left a void in a man. And there is nothing that can fill that void but the Holy Spirit of God. There is nothing that can fill that relationship but God himself. But all throughout America, well, I say America today, literally around the world today, everybody is searching to fill that void. Everybody is looking for something. And they look in, in all kinds of areas. Some people turn to alcohol, and, and maybe it dulls the sting for a little while, and they turn to it thinking that it'll fill that void. For many, it's different types of drugs. Some it's illegal drugs. Some it's prescription medication. But it's anything to dull the pain, to dull the senses, to take away that edge. For some, it's different types of entertainment. People turn to all kinds of stuff just trying to take the edge. They're looking to try to fill a void. Some people are called workaholics. People work all the time. I don't believe it's necessarily as much as they enjoy to work, but as long as they're working, they're not thinking about consequences. They're not thinking about things. They just keep their mind indulged in that workaholic trying to, to fill a void. For some, it's money. People think the pursuit of money, the money is what will make them happy. The money is what will make all their problems go away. The money is what will take care of everything. Money won't take care of anything. Money will pay some bills, but if we don't buy so much stuff, we wouldn't have so many bills. People think if I could just make a million, but then they get a million, you have to have two million. And you get two million, they have to have four million. If money solved the problem, then you tell me why the billionaires in this world, the richest people in this world, get up and work hard every day for what? To make more money, to invest more money. They have billions. They've got more than they could spend in 10 lifetimes. But what do they do every day? They try to get money. You know why? Because money won't fill the void. It is God Almighty. It is His Holy Spirit. It is the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that's ever going to fill that void. All of it is nothing more than willful blindness. It is choosing not to look at the truth. Verse number 20, I'll read it again. Paul says, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God's creation is the evidence of God's power. And it is clearly seen by 
all men. Psalms chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Abraham Lincoln, this is a quote, he said, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist. But I cannot conceive how a man could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Some men willfully ignore what they hear. They hear the gospel, they, they hear it preached, but they willfully ignore what they hear. Other men acknowledge that they hear it, but they deny the truth. Some men acknowledge that they hear it, but then they create their own gods in, in their own minds. But they are all without excuse. Verse number 21, Paul says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So God makes it clear that all men know that there is a God, but many of them choose not to glorify the one true God. They don't want to acknowledge anything as having authority over them. You know, kind of that mentality of the day. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody likes to be told what to do. So they, they develop their own theories. They come up with their own stories. They come up with their own ideas of creation. or They, they develop things like evolution. They try to come up with their own theories about how things got here. Any man who denies the one true God has no choice but to arrive at a false destination. Anything but this book is lies. Anything short of this book, anything against this book, it is false truths. It is false teachings and lies. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Paul's next step from those who refuse to believe in God is those who seek to create God in, in their own minds. Idolatry is alive and well in today's world. Um perfect example in, in India animals are considered sacred cows are considered sacred it's a holy animal a, a sacred animal you you can't hurt a cow to to kill a cow is the same punishment as to commit a murder to eat a cow is considered cannibalism you, you can't even run the cows out of the garden you can't do anything that might bring harm to a cow. You can't even try to, to scare them off. They are considered sacred animals. Now, in India, they have millions of people starving to death. Um, we, we have, with the Lighthouse Children's Home, we have one of our homes in India, and Brother Larry has asked me on more than one occasion to go with him to India. Time has just never really worked out to where I could go, and to be honest, I can't say that I regret that. I'm not sure I'm ready to see India. I've, I've heard them talk of the stories of, of things over there and in some of the regions there in India. You know, here in the States, we have a, a state highway department that goes and they, they pick up dead animals off the side of the road. If a deer gets hit in front of your house, you can call them. They'll come out and get the deer up. They, they, they get things up off the side of the interstate. It's what they do. In India, they, they have people that pick up dead children that starve to death during the night. 
I, I don't know that I'm ready to see that. I don't, I don't know, honestly, quite, quite how to handle that. I, I've never been over there with Brother Larry. But one of the things that gets me, people are starving to death, but yet they call a cow an idol. They refuse to eat what God has called good for human consumption. They refuse to eat what, what God has given us as part of a dietary plan. But if that's not bad enough, they, they have a few million cows over there. But if that's not bad enough, not only can they not eat the cows, but the cows destroy the crop. The cows free roam. They range, so they come in, they destroy gardens. They destroy what would be the food for the people. So you have millions of people starving to death. But idolatry, I realize that's kind of an, an extreme side. That's not the only forms of idolatry. You don't have to go to those extremes. There's many forms. You, you don't even have to have little wooden figurines in your house. You don't have to have a little fat round man called Buddha sitting in front of your house with his arms folded to have idolatry. You don't have to have a golden calf sitting on your, your um, mantle over your fireplace to, to have idolatry. An idol is anything that you put before God in your life. Anything that you make a necessity above that of God. Now, verse number 23, after Paul talks about the idolatry, he, he says, changed the glory of uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. Well, there's your Egyptian gods. You've seen the Egyptian gods standing out on the front and some, you know, got, I think of one in particular, there's a big man standing up and got his arms this way and and one's got a spear out, and they, they have like crow's heads. They're, they're human bodies, but different animal heads. And they have all the, these different kind of human figures that they put out as idols. And there's your, um, there's your cows of India, your four-footed beast. And there's your birds of the air. Some of those native tribes, they, they call those the gods of the air. And they worship some birds and some all birds, but, but there's a description of your idols. There's your golden calves that we read about in the Old Testament, that people worship golden calves. There's your idol. But in that same verse, there's your fake fat man in a red suit that people give God's glory to at the birth of our Savior. In, in that same verse, there's your roasted turkey that people give glory that belongs to God on Thanksgiving Day. In, in that same verse, there, there's your four-footed Easter bunny that people give God's glory to on the day of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. There's your, your Halloween. People dress their children up many times in evil things and call them cute. Those are the real American idols. Those of you who watch American Idol, you, you get where that comes from. Those things are the real American idols. And God cannot bless 
a country that is giving his glory to idols. I'm kind of I'm kind of out of a twist in between right there. To open that can of worms goes on a little bit further. There's a good bit of teaching, and I, I really want to to take a look at that. Um, there's even kind of a change of gears right here at verse number 21. So I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop right here for tonight. I'll tell you what we'll do. If you don't want to see where those idols stand in this country, if you don't want to see what they represent in this country and you don't want to see what they stand for shot down and you don't want your children to know the truth, then you probably want to tune in about 15 minutes late next week because those are idols that are slowly destroying this country. And we refuse to turn away from it because things are so well accepted, but they're not the only idols that we have. And the more we look to idols and the more we look to things that are against God and the more we give God's glory to those things, the less like we are to see God turn around and bless this nation the way that he has, the way that he can, the way that, that I pray that he will. I mean, why would, why would we be surprised at the things that God is allowing if we look at the way we're acting? Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. I'll probably back up and pick up right there with that verse next week. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. God, thank you. Thank you for, for wisdom, God. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you'd put a hedge of protection about us this week. God, I pray for COVID-19. God, as I see numbers rise, and I pray you would remove it from this country. God, I pray you'd forgive us where we failed you. God, I'd ask you to pour your blessings out on America once again. God, I pray you'd help us to be a people that would turn back to you, God. Turn our hearts toward you. God, I pray you'd forgive us, God, of, of our shortcomings. I pray you'd forgive, God, start with me. God, of the times that we've given your glory to a false image, God, to, to things of this world. Father, I pray you'd help us to be a people pleasing to you. And God, I pray if you tarry another seven days. And I pray if the Lord Jesus doesn't come get us before next Wednesday night. God, I pray you'd give me exactly what you want said right here on this passage, God. I pray you'd give me a clearness of mind. God, I pray you'd give me the words that you want spoken to your people. God, I pray you'd help us to take it to heart, God, that we might turn everything back to you. Oh, God, we just want to serve you. Lord, that we could once again say it and mean it, one nation under God. That we could say it and mean it in God we trust. Father, we want to be a lighthouse to the world, Father. I pray you'd use us in these dark times. Lord, I know there's times coming. I know there's days that are setting the stages for when Christ comes to get us. But, God, I pray you'd help our light to shine bright until that day, God. I pray you'd help us to be found faithful according to your word to serve you, God. May we work each day telling people about Christ. May we be busy about your work until the day Jesus steps out on the cloud and comes to get his children. God, we love you. We thank you, God. You've been so good to us. Lord, I ask you to bless everybody tuned in tonight, their homes, their families. Help us, God, to be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I would ask you, if you would, do like we do every Wednesday night. Don't forget, take a few minutes now. If you'd open that prayer list, normally we would come to the altar right now and we'd take a few minutes and pray. I would ask you to go to that list, if you would, and get it out and certainly your own needs. Gather your family around and let's take a few minutes in one accord, if we could, and pray for a little bit. 
And then I hope to see all of you Sunday morning at 1030. God bless you. We love y'all.